Today, again, we are in this series called Happily Ever After, and it's just a two-week period of time in which we wanted to kind of do a deep dive into some practical uh, conversation about marriage and the marriage relationship, all right? And uh, Don, Pastor Don kicked us off last week, and if you weren't here, I cannot do it justice in terms of everything he covered. I'll give you just a few things, uh, but we, we are talking about this idea of intimacy, okay? And I know men don't like that word as well as they like other words, but anyway, intimacy is really nothing more than the, uh, the picture, just, just to help you. It's just the understanding of knowing and being fully known, okay? That's the best way to talk about intimacy. You can use other words like closeness and connection and all those things, but intimacy is really kind of knowing someone and being fully known. That's what intimacy is. And so we were taking this big, broad understanding of relationship and relational intimacy. And last week, Don kind of gave us four foundational principles uh, that we can use in terms of helping build that relational intimacy. Is my mic popping? That might be me. Hold on a second here. Oh, that is me. Hello. Okay. Hopefully it'll fix it. If not, I'll go to the mic. Um, these are principles that you can work on um, in terms of building that relational intimacy in your, in your marriage, in your life. Choose your God. That's part of the spiritual uh, side of, our, of, of intimacy, which we'll talk about a little bit today. Choosing oneness, which is emotional and physical in terms of creating that environment and also kind of choosing one another, uh, how, what oneness looks like in Scripture. Choosing mutual submission, which is really the only uh, biblical example of, in terms of a how-to for marriage that we actually have. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is filled with horrible, dysfunctional, awful marriages. Do you know that? right? The Bible is filled with it, and it's there for us to see. It's there as an example for us to learn from, but Ephesians 5 gives us this actual practical kind of picture of a Christian marriage, of, a, of how it works itself out, and it's called mutual submission before it even gets into the, the husband and the wife and the way people understand that, but this idea of, um, you know, submit yourself one to another as you are submitting to Christ. And so we talked about that last week, and to choose love. And what does love require of us in terms of that uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13 passage of description of love? What does that really take for us to choose love every time, to choose to choose to love? And that's the way Don talked about it last week. And so as we talked about sort of God's design, we had this opportunity last week to just kind of go back into Genesis. I'm not going to go through it today, but in Genesis, where God created the institution, the Christian institution of marriage, not necessarily what the state uh, calls marriage, but the Christian institution of marriage, in terms of where he created man, and um, man had dominion over the earth, and he, uh, he kind of named all the animals, and he was supposed to find a suitable partner, a suitable helpmate is what it was called in Scripture. And he couldn't find anyone. He couldn't find anyone, like, you know, compatible. He couldn't, couldn't find that, that person, you know. And so God was like, that's fine. So he put Adam to sleep and took a rib and uh, made woman. And then when Adam woke up and God delivered woman, he was just like, woo! You know, I mean, he, yes, again, he had never seen anything like this before. So there obviously was a response. And he literally said the words, you complete me. And I know you think that came from the movie. I know you think that came from Jerry Maguire. But it actually was from Scripture. Okay, that this idea that he was supposed to find this completion to his life, and he couldn't find it until God created woman, and then there was they became one, and that was this language of of oneness and and intimacy that God had created in this relationship uh, to be experienced. 
When Jesus was later on asked about marriage and divorce and just sort of their cultural challenges when it came to marriages, Jesus would use the same language. He would actually quote from Genesis. This is how Jesus responded. Oh, yeah, sorry. The marriage relationship was designed for intimacy. I covered that. Sorry. Go to uh, the Scripture. It says, when Jesus was asked, he said, haven't you read the Scriptures? They record that from the beginning God made male and female. And he, says, and, and he said to them, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is the whole relational intimacy uh, piece. Since they are no longer two individuals, I would say, they're no longer two individuals, but they are now one. He says, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let no one mess with that. Like that, This was God's original design. This was his plan, his ideals, his instructions for what intimacy was going to look like. And we talked again, relational intimacy. Um, go to the next slide. Relational intimacy. No, I went backwards. Go to the next slide. Mm, there you go. Relational intimacy covers these three things. And last week, Don covered the first two. Covered this idea of spiritual intimacy and emotional intimacy. I can't go back and talk about those things. Um, he obviously couldn't even get into huge detail, but he kind of covered those. I'm specifically talking today about physical intimacy, okay? I'm just going to deal with physical intimacy. So just to let you know, um, we did not kind of reserve this day to be like PG-13 or anything. I don't have to go into any deep cultural conversations, and you shouldn't have to have your kids look up stuff I'm talking about. You know, it's, I'm going to stay kind of surface with the language, so just to let you know, it's going to be okay. Don't freak out right away here at the beginning of the service. Um, but we are talking about, now all the adults in the room will know what I'm talking about when I say physical intimacy, that it's more than sex, but it's, but it's uh, this picture of the, of the union in marriage, okay? So that's what we're talking about today, how it plays itself out in the marriage relationship as God designed it. Now, first and foremost, we have to talk about this. Physical intimacy is driven by our sexuality. Okay? It is. That's just part of how we are wired, how we are made. And I don't know if you find this as beautiful as a, as, a, as, a, as a point as I do, but I want you to think about it for just a minute. Men and women in the room, that everything that's in you, everything that's in you that drives you kind of towards that physical intimacy side, at its core, was created and given to you by God. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? Like everything was, this was all kind of created and given to you from God. It's not the only thing that's there though. Because of the fall, because of the experience of sin entering us and entering the world through us, we also, we don't just have the core of what God gave us, we also have brokenness inserted in there. You know, nod your head if you're with me, right? So it is from God. It's from him. It's this beautiful, precious, powerful uh, thing that he's given us, but it also has brokenness in it now too. And all of our sin and all of our brokenness in terms of who we are sexually comes out and plays itself out very differently in all of our lives. But it's there, okay? So the church has done a really bad job of kind of talking about physical intimacy and talking about this in the context of marriage because, and especially talking about it from uh, training our youth well because we've, we've sort of taken the brokenness and we've allowed the brokenness to sort of uh, overshadow the, the, the amazing thing that God created, the amazing thing that he put in you and put in me and that he, he wants to see come to this, fulfill, this big fullness and fulf uh, um, fulfilling all the dreams and desires he has for a marriage. 
We've just not done a good job as a church talking about it because the brokenness that shows up in it. And so today, I want to talk about it really at a base level. What is physical intimacy and what happens and why is it so necessary to have a healthy understanding of this in the marriage relationship? If you take it at its kind of, I mean, again, baseline, core definition, all right, physical intimacy is the practice of initiating and responding to touch. It's interactive. Okay, so just, I don't know if you remember this, like when you were kids, or maybe you're experiencing it now, but, you know, when you were younger and you were dating, do you guys remember, like, what it was like to hold hands? Do you remember that? And you'd watch, you watch young people hold hands, right? And it's never like, it's never just holding hands. They're always just kind of moving, you know? Everybody know what I'm talking about? And it's just like, and just kind of like stroking and moving and kind of going from side to side. And it's uncomfortable, I'll admit it. You watching me is even uncomfortable right now, you know? It is, you know? Why do they do that? Because there's something that happens beyond the physical, beyond the pheromones and the, and the electricity and the feelings that rush over you. There's something about the initiating and the responding of touch that God created, that he wired in you. And if you can take that from there and you can take it to midnight and it's just, you know, way more intense and way better. I don't even know if that's a good word, but that's, like, that's what it is. That's what physical intimacy is. It's this thing, but it's not, listen, you have to know, it's not just flesh, okay? It's not. It's not just solely this flesh sort of, you know, two organisms, just biology, right? Just like clashing and colliding. It's actually, this, the, the physical part of this is tied to everything else, which I said, spiritual, relational, physical. It's tied to everything because we are people, we are personalities. We are all three of those things at all times, and every time that physical kind of rush and those things that happen and the physical intimacy begins, we begin to experience that. It's actually affecting all of those things. So it's, again, it's extraordinarily powerful. And because it's so powerful, it's also very easy to abuse. Because it's so powerful, it's very easy to abuse it and to have a, a wrong mindset and really an abusive mindset of physical intimacy. Now, here's what I see happening mostly in our culture when it comes to this picture of how we abuse it. First off, we start treating these things as, as if it's transactional. You know, that's very common in the dating world for people to be dating and, you know, they've gone on three dates and it started with kissing and or maybe started with holding hands and then it moved to kissing and then, you know, there's sort of this transactional thing of you do and I do and and, and, and because we did, you know, uh, you know, we deserve to, and there's high expectations placed on, on that physical side of the relationship. And, and it's wrong. It's really an abuse because it's just viewed as this sort of transaction. Marriage, it happens in marriage a little differently. In marriage, we use the word gratitude, right? We use the word gratitude in marriage when it's transactional. It's like, well, I did all this, and I did the dishes, and I did this, and I bought the new car, and I did this, and you know, it'd be nice to have a little bit of gratitude. Any married people ever say that? You know, it's like, that's, okay, that is still at its core transactional. It's this idea of doing to get. It's this idea of a return on your investment. And that's an abuse, guys. That's an abuse of this beautiful gift that God has given us with physical intimacy, is to treat it transactionally. The other is manipulative. 
You know, we, early on our culture, our culture already knows that sex sells. That's why, you know, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, games for middle schoolers and young boys have all, you know, half-dressed half women and uh, disproportionate and all that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, marketing and TVs and stories, and there's all the, the love and the romance built into those things because they know it draws us to it. It's manipulative for us. And it teaches us how to use it in a manipulative way. For married couples, it tends to often sometimes be, well, I'm going to withhold physical intimacy, sort of teach them a lesson to sort of help leverage a point or a position in my life, or, to, or I'll use it to get something that I want. I'll use it to, to, to kind of uh, manipulate the situation. And that's an abuse. That is an abusive way of viewing and understanding this amazing gift. And the third is really clear in our culture is just disconnected. We know that it's tied to our emotions. We know that it's tied to our spirit. We know that every physical act is beyond the physical. But we will, our culture teaches us, and, and it just says it's normal, it's fine, don't worry about it, that we just want to make it physical. It's only physical. It's just this, and it's just that. It's just physical. You know, <clears throat> it's the equivalent of, you know, shaking hands really closely without any clothes on, Right? For an extended period of time. And that's all it is. There doesn't have to be any baggage with it. There doesn't have to be any feelings with it. There doesn't have to be. And we know that's not true. But when we approach it this way, when we think we can get away with that, it's an abuse. It's abusing this gift that God's given us of physical enemies, the thing that He designed for marriage. And you don't have to just look at Scripture to see the consequences of the abuse of physical intimacy in our, in our culture. You don't have to just go there. You can see it all over the place. <clears throat> I want to share a real quick uh, uh, article that is very common for, for today. Uh, it's talking about cohabitation. It's talking about people living together before they get married. Maybe something 20, 30 years ago that wasn't nearly as common as it just kind of is now, like people just kind of giving up on marriage or think they have a better way to do it. So they, they work out this plan to live together for a period of time. This is from the Berkeley Science Review. This is actually a, a, a group of graduate students that do these research projects. I love this, this article. It says, following common sense. Okay, this is, this is the ar argument, right? Following common sense. It would seem that those who cohabitate before marriage would be prepared for and confident about marriage having already lived together. This preparedness and confidence should thus lead to lower divorce rates for those who have cohabitated before marriage than those who did not live together. However, research has shown that in this case, common sense is wrong. Okay? Premarital cohabitation actually appears to lead to higher divorce rates in many Western countries. And the article goes on to share, share about three or four reasons why. And they all make sense if you look at it from the picture of how God designed things. Like, it just, it doesn't work. It's, it's sort of sold to us as common sense. It's sold to us that this is okay. It's sold to us that, you know, transactionally is the way it's dealt with. <clears throat> it's sold to us that, 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 you know, that you can use this to manipulate. You know, young girls learn very early on that if they look a certain way, they can get things. They can create opportunities. And because it's so normalized, we don't even really see it as an abuse of not really seeing it right, not really paying attention, again, to how God really designed it. 
Now, if you really want to know, because I'll just let you know, the Bible has a lot more warnings, okay, when it comes to physical intimacy than, than it does like, here's a good how-to or here's some positive, you know, things to see. If you want to have a good, I would say good representation of sort of the positive, you can read the Song of Solomon. You can read the Song of Psalms. And it's an entire, it's, I'm just telling you, it's entirely PG-13 rated R. Like, you don't want to you don't want to do that with your children right away, you know. It's, it's just one of those books. It's a lot of poetry, so maybe they wouldn't get it, but most of you will get it, okay? And it's, and it's pretty gritty. I'll just let you know, it's just pretty gritty. But Solomon, the reason he, that it's, I believe the reason he wrote it, the reason it's in Scripture, is to talk about the beautiful, powerful, amazing thing that God gave and to live in the fullness of that. So I can't read a lot of it this morning, again, a mixed company, but there is something that shows up several times in the Song of Solomon that I want to read that I think, again, goes back to this, why is it, why is it a warning? Why, why does Scripture filled with warning about sexual morality and impurity? And here's the reason why. Again, this is three times throughout this letter. It says, promise me, O women of Israel, not to awaken love until the time is right. Three different times, Solomon or, 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 or the female in the story they actually make this statement, hey, women of Israel, listen, please don't awaken these desires. Don't awaken this until the time is right, until it's according to how God really designed it to be. Don't abuse it. Pay attention to, to your body. Pay attention to, to what, how God made this beautiful gift for you. So I want to get really practical today. I want to give us some really, hopefully some I want, to, I, want to, I want it to be helpful today, okay? I want to talk about some of the common barriers that really could be in the way right now of, of some, of you, some of you in your marriage and talk about some of the common barriers that are there that you need to, get, need to pay attention to and get help. I want to talk about some things you can do today, okay, right now. You can do today. If you're in your married relationship, you can actually do today to actually start seeing improvements with physical intimacy in your marriage. But before we do that, I want us to, to again, look why does Scripture give us so many warnings about this? Like, what, why is it that that's what we receive so much of in terms of, of God's Word to protect and to guard and to warn us in terms of how we abuse this gift? And, and it, I want to just give you a phrase. This is a phrase that I learned many, many years ago. I, I used it. I use it with youth when I talk to youth. I use it when I talk to premarital, premarital uh, couples and premarital counseling. Um, it's something that I really do believe kind of encompasses the scripture we're going to read. And here's the statement. I wanted to read it out loud together, so hopefully you'll get this before you leave today. Intimacy is fueled by exclusivity. Let's read it together out loud. You ready? Intimacy is fueled by exclusivity. One more time. Read it out loud together. Intimacy is fueled by exclusivity. Here's how Solomon, again, Solomon uh, wrote Proverbs, a book of wisdom, and here's how Solomon said this in the book of wisdom. He said, drink water from your own well and share your love only with your wife. Why spill the waters of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? He says, you should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And later on in verse 19, it says, may you always... Be captivated by our love. 
Intimacy is fueled by this, this, this created design of exclusivity. That it is exclusively designed for the context of marriage, for the context of your marriage relationship. Don't, don't mess with it anywhere else or you're going to experience the problems. If you abuse it, you're going to experience that. Paul says it this way to the church in Corinth because in many, many cultures, not just our culture, but in many pagan cultures, um, you know, this, this physical intimacy, there were acts that you could do that were actually uh, kind of tagged as religious. There were actual temples that you could walk into and actually experience physical intimacy and actually experience some actions where, where you would do that and actually would have sort of religious ties to it. Horrible. And Paul's telling the church, telling the church, the people of God in Corinth, he's saying, listen, do you think you can go do that and it not affect you? Like, that's not how it works. That's not how it works because when you do that, you create a oneness that shouldn't be there. Again, using the words in Genesis, using the way Jesus then described it as well. And he goes on to say this, and this is in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, don't you realize, didn't you know, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourselves, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your bodies. And this right here, this statement, I think is a beautiful one-sentence statement that that can really kind of fill your entire life when it comes to helping you guard and protect and warn is, what does it look like to honor God with your body? Understanding that sexuality and your, this was all driven and given to you by God, but there's brokenness there. And because there's brokenness there, there's a, there's a temptation to abuse it. But what does it look like to honor God with your bodies? Well, number one, it looks like honoring other people with their bodies. When you honor God with your body, Right? He tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to treat the older women like your mothers and treat the younger women like your sisters. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that completely change how people view physical intimacy, right? Outside of the context of marriage. But that's why he said it. He says, look, when you have this idea of honoring God with your bodies, it flies against the face of culture. Culture that says, let your heart lead you. You can love anyone you want to. Let passion be your guide. No. Matter of fact, later on in the church of, of, of Thessalonica, he actually tells them, this whole honor God with your body doesn't have anything to do with letting your body control things. It has to do with this thing called self-control. He goes on to say, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor not in lustful passion, like the pagans who don't even know God and don't even know his ways. Intimacy is fueled by exclusivity. Let me just tell you, the, 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 end, of the, the end of the day, this is what it looks like. You know, and I'll, I'll bring up my wife. She's here somewhere. Um, I'm not going to bring her up. I'm sorry. That was wrong. There's no demonstrations today. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Exclusivity in the marriage relationship basically means this. Nobody else gets from me what I give to my wife. Nobody, nobody else gets that. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. Okay, that's what it looks like. 
Spiritually, we have a bond because we took a covenant of marriage where we said that we believe that God was over our marriage and was at the center of our marriage. And so spiritually, we have intimacy where we trust one another as we are devoting our life to Christ, living our life in Christ. So we trust one another when someone says, well, I feel God saying this and I sense God doing this and maybe God's moving us in this direction. We have a trust that's there. I don't have to go talk to a priest. I don't have to go see a counselor. I don't have to call my three friends. Why? Because it's exclusive. This bond, this intimacy is exclusive. Emotionally, it's there. Like, my wife is my best friend. And I know that I don't say that just because you're supposed to. Everybody, all the men know that, right? Somebody asks you if your wife is your best friend, the men say what? Yes. yes, that's exactly, that's the correct answer, right? It just happens to be true. Like, we're best friends. We love to spend time together. We enjoy each other, Right? We enjoy each other on vacations. We enjoy each other through the drudgery of life. We enjoy each other's company. We want to be together. We enjoy sharing things together. No one else gets that level that I give to her. Exclusivity. Physically, we're not going to talk about that. I promised her I wouldn't. I will tell you that we were, we were privileged, we were fortunate that we got married and we didn't have to bring in a ton of baggage or baggage from our past or from past experiences. Why? Well, number one, we got married at 18. So that's a, that was a plus. Okay. Let's let you know that was a plus. But we didn't have to deal with that. So we don't have to deal with the loss of exclusivity in our physical intimacy now. I'm telling you guys, it's a huge issue in marriages. And so young people, if you could get anything, if you could get this right now, just understand not just to honor God with your body, because that's the, that's the call. But if you could understand that it's the, this, the intimacy that you're going to want to experience in its fullness one day is fueled by the, your exclusivity to it now for your future, man, it'll save you so many problems. It'll just, I'm just telling you, get, learn it now. I want to get very practical in terms of the barriers that I, I do believe face couples, married couples today talk very quickly through them. And then I want to give you just some quick um, resources and some things you can do now to kind of begin to see some improvement there. Okay, And all this is just from people way smarter than me, and, and we'll read some more scripture along the way. But this is, this is just the goal, just to kind of end this day and end this series with a little more practical help in this area. Here come some of the common problems. I'll just be honest. This is one of the biggest ones. Problems that people are experiencing with physical intimacy in their marriage. One of the biggest ones is sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality is kind of talked about from a big picture. Everything in Scripture outside of marriage between a man and woman is called sexual immorality and sexual sin. Okay, Just let you know. That's, that's what it is. That's what it's called. You can argue with me all day long. Well, what about this? And what about them? And what about this? And what... The Bible's very clear. Anything outside of the marriage relationship between a man and a woman is called sexual morality and sexual impurity. That's just the way it is. And so this comes, these three things come into play with marriages most often. Past experiences, which goes back to you know, past partners, past people you've had experience with. Some of it comes into past experiences because there was abuse, and so there's some arrested development there. Some, some, sometimes it's a past experience because of just the, the, the culture you're raised in. Some people were raised in a very perverse household, very perverse culture, where every, they don't even have an idea of what healthy boundaries even look like or feel like physically. And so they need help, okay? 
And there's some people who were raised in an uber ultra conservative home and background where they were taught that certain things were dirty and awful and should never be done. And so they're struggling in their marriage because they don't even have a proper concept of what's free and what's available to them and what they should be living in and enjoying. So those past experiences can bring a huge barrier into the experience you're having right now in your marriage. Pornography is another one. It's a huge one. Why? Well, obviously, it's, it, it, it doesn't keep things exclusive. Right? It breaks in on that. It's also the sort of the cheap way or the, the quick fix is what we call it. Whether it's a man or a woman deciding to go down that path because it's, it's quicker and easier to deal with that than it is to pursue your spouse and put the effort and time in to, to build up that spiritual, emotional, and physical intimacy. But you understand that pornography is such a big deal because it actually is a brain-altering activity. Okay? It actually chemically changes things in you. That can not just cause a problem momentarily, it can cause a problem for the rest of your life that you need to get help through and work through. Infidelity is another one, obviously, for the exclusivity part. But even Jesus said it this way. I'll read a couple of scriptures, but this goes back to, um, again, what we call sexual immorality. That when we follow our sinful nature, this is Paul, he says that the results are very clear. He gives this long list, but he starts with these ideas of that there's sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. That these are, these are some of the things that come out of this fleshly desire, this brokenness, that we all have in addition to what God gave us. So if we follow our flesh, if we let our heart guide us, if, if it's just passion, it can most often look like this. These are the results. These are the consequences. But Jesus said it even this way. He said, when you've heard the commandment that says you don't commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. And that's a huge problem for us because we again have a better job controlling our exterior behavior than we do controlling our thoughts and holding our thoughts captive. And so we allow lust to run there and we allow, you know, our imagery and our imagination to run wild and free. And we're like, well, we're not physically doing anything. Yeah, but it's causing a problem. I'm telling you, it's a barrier for physical intimacy in your marriage. Here's some more, uh, just quick examples there's a lack of communication, meaning that you're unwilling to talk about it as, 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 as a spouse, uh, with your spouse. You're unwilling to talk about it. Usually when you do, sometimes the other person feels like they've been accused of something or there's all sorts of insecurities that rise up. And so there's just this huge lack of communication. And that's a problem. That is a huge barrier in people's lives. And I'm telling you, a lot of what we're going to do today, you, you know, we can help identify some of these things, but you need to do the hard work of actually praying and asking the Spirit of God to do a work in you and possibly go talk to some of the counselors that we talked about last week that Don shared. We'll give you a list of counselors. Do the hard work to work through this. Because lack of communication is a big deal. Many, many marriages suffer. Hormonal imbalances, bodies change, things changing the older. You just got to be honest with yourself. Identify those things. Identify it with your spouse. Just be open. Physical health. Physical health isn't just from an energy or a, a, a physical standpoint as how it can affect things, but honestly, a lot of people that we counsel with and we talk to about this, have their physical health creates a poor physical body image, okay? Poor physical body image. And that poor physical body image begins to be a barrier in people's physical intimacy. 
So much so, I've seen it so much so to the point that it actually creates aversion tendencies where they don't want to be touched at all because they don't see themselves that way. They don't see, and I'm just telling you guys, it's a huge issue. If you don't catch it early, if you don't catch those things early, you can have lots of big problems you got to deal with later on. This goes back to mental health as well. There's depression, there's other mental illnesses that can, that can cause those kinds of issues. Again, aversion tendencies, there's actually people that, that, that have had that since they were young. Again, I already mentioned it, but there's, there's, there's arrested development that comes sometimes because of abuse in their past. And so there's lots of things that could be causing issues. You just got to be able to identify them. You got to be able to start working through them. Medications can cause this more so than ever. We are more medicated than we have ever been, and people don't understand how this could possibly also be affecting physical intimacy in their marriage. Drunkenness is another one that I, people, I don't really understand how people don't get this. I, I know a, a family that, that honestly was struggling in their marriage so much and they were experiencing such a problem with physical intimacy that, that they kind of gave that up and just began to lean towards just drinking. That's what they did together. So they just, just, they just drank. And because they were drinking and drunkenness was a part of their life, then it caused even more problems for physical intimacy when they wanted to experience physical intimacy, which then caused them to lean more into drunkenness. And it was a huge problem that caused barriers in this physical intimacy. And again, I, I say this, you can identify it. You can maybe be honest about what it might be. But if you don't start taking steps, if you don't start really beginning to take this to God in prayer, then it's just going to be a barrier that you live with, that exists in your home, that exists in your marriage, that doesn't need to be there. It's stopping you from experiencing what God wants you to experience. Now, let me give you just a few things before we go. A few things that you can do today. Now, I'm like, don't, not, with the kid, not with the kids at lunch, okay? And I'm not, you know, I'm not again, just today, like conversation. Start the conversation today. That you can do to begin to just see an increase in this. Okay, just, just to begin to experience. And, and, and you're not going to like some of these. Some of these are going to be awful. I don't want to see any husbands or wives like elbowing each other while I give you this list, all right? This is for you to take and leave from here and let God guide you in what maybe some steps you can do. The first is emotional connection. All I can tell you is that the more emotional connection and intimacy that you take the effort to create, the better and more physical intimacy you will experience. Just the way it is. And it's across the board. It depends on how you're wired. There's men that hate this idea. There's women who hate this idea. But if you're not willing to do the effort, if you're not willing to do the work to create the, 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 the emotional language, to, to dig deeper and have those opportunities to experience things emotionally together, then you're going to constantly have an issue with physical intimacy because they feed and breed one another. Emotional connection is a great way to start. The next is prioritize your time, okay? Now listen, I'm not saying send a Google invite, okay? That's not what I'm saying. However, I will say that because of the marginless lives, because of the marginless lives we do live, you might need to take serious considerations into how you're living your life and where you're spending your time. Because if you're exhausting yourself out on all ends, then it's a problem. It's creating barriers for you. You need to prioritize it. Why? Because we understand that we value what we prioritize. And if this is not something that you're prioritizing in your marriage, then you are communicating to your spouse that you do not value it. And you do not value them. Which is, again, causing more barriers. 
So prioritize your time. Prioritize the space. Kick your kids and, and animals out, okay? Not out of the house, just out of the bedroom, right? Like kick them out. Find time to, to be together. Like, like make it intentional. You have to prioritize this. You have to make it something that you are working towards to be, really begin to see a difference. Communication is huge. you got to be able to talk about it. A lot of people don't like to talk about it. They feel weird about talking about it. And I, all I can say is if you feel weird talking about it, you're probably not doing it, right? You're, not, you're probably not experiencing what you could be experiencing. Communication needs to be open. And listen, for a lot of couples, it, probably, it sometimes needs to start with a therapist. Okay, you've, you've gone so long not talking about it that you need a third party to help you start the conversation, okay? And then from there, you can hopefully develop some tools to, to talk more openly, and you can start today, okay? What do you like? What do you like the most? What do you not like the most? What would you like to see more of? What would you like to see less of? What would you like to try? Everybody with me? Do I need to get more specific? Y'all with me? Okay? You start today. Communication. Communication is a huge thing you can do. Uh, this is another one that I, I you know, several years ago, um, when I was reading through one of the books, it actually said this is a great thing to start doing, especially if this is something that you're experiencing as, as barriers. You need to initiate more and reject less. Here's, here's the bad cycle that happens, and I'm just going to, again, I'm, I'll be brief. The bad cycle that happens is that you begin to get to a place where because of not prioritizing it, because of not communicating, you get into a place where, and I'm not talking about just, you know, midnight. I'm talking about all physical activity, okay, all physical connection and physical intimacy, that there tends to be a default to no. There tends to be a default to rejection, a default to I don't have time for that, which then leads into people not initiating anymore, which then leads into people not responding anymore, which then leads into people not initiating, which then leads people not, not responding. And that's what physical intimacy is, right? It's initiating and responding. So you need to initiate more. You need to spend, you know, that's, that's going a whole month Okay, I tell people this sometimes, do a whole, just do a whole month. A whole month of not saying no, and a whole month of initiating every opportunity you can. Hug before you leave, hug when you get home, find opportunities to hug and kiss at the house, uh, sit on the same side of the booth of the restaurant, even though you look stupid, nobody else is doing it but you, right? Find opportunities to touch when you can, hold hands in the car. I'm talking about just really breaking the barrier and starting to just reconnect to initiate and to respond and to feel that again in your marriage. Love languages is a big deal, and I'll just share this quickly. This is, if there's no other resource that you can take today and begin to work on, it's this one. You can go to their website. Chapman is the author. You can take the quick assessment, and you can learn the love language of you, and you can learn the love language of your spouse. Now, I know people that have done this, and they've sort of just done it and lost it and left it behind. I am telling you there's no greater resource in terms of emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, and spiritual intimacy than to understand what it is to not just to choose to love your spouse, but to actually know how your spouse receives love. Y'all with me? Okay, mine is physical touch and words of encouragement, right? Which means I could just hug on Tracy all the live long day. I could write her a song and read her a poem, right, that I wrote, and my wife would go, that's great. Like she would enjoy it like for a moment. But those two are at the bottom of her list. 
She is quality time and acts of service. So here I am hugging on her and words and it's just nothing. Nothing's changing. Nothing's getting better. Oh, but if, you know, I do the dishes without her asking, you know, turn my phone off and give her some focused attention for about an hour. Hello. Right? She receives that. Y'all with me? She receives that. So this is a really important thing in terms of knowing love languages. If you want to see growth happen in these areas, you have to know how your spouse receives love. It's too easy for us to push to our default in how we give love and completely miss each other like ships passing in the night. Oh, we both love each other. You both know that you love each other, but neither one of you, neither one of you are receiving any of it because you don't really speak their language. You're not putting the effort in to speak their language. And the last is to flee sexual morality. The reason I, I made this last is because it's one of the best scriptures that we have in terms of understanding sexual sin and understanding what it is to flee. We do not use that word often. Everybody say flee. flee. Everybody say flee. flee. You know what flee means? Run. Yeah, like stop, drop, and run. Okay? We don't have that in our, in our mindset anymore for this world outside of teaching our kids about fires, right? Stop, drop, and roll or whatever. Like flee is just not something we use. And yet scripture tells us to flee, okay? To flee those lustful thoughts, to flee that temptation, to flee the behavior that you're stuck in, to flee sexual immorality. Why? This is what he tells the church in Corinth again. Because no other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Okay, that's, that's why Paul says it's so important. It's not just a warning about the preciousness of this gift and how much God wants you to live in the fullness of understanding this phys how physical intimacy just makes your marriage come alive. It's just so amazing. He's saying, listen, when it comes to the barriers, when it comes to the problems, when it comes to the things that can get in the way, that sexual sin, you need to flee from it. Because there's no other sin that affects you the way that does. The church likes to, we like to put a priority on sexual sin because it's convenient for us, okay? I, I mean, you know this is true. Sex before marriage, uh, homosexuality, pornography, adultery, we like to kind of claim those and be like, oh, the worst sins ever. We like, you know, they're like way over here and then like our white lies and our not paying our taxes and our gossip is over here. Yeah, the truth is that is not how God sees it at all. Sin is sin is sin. That's what Scripture says. He gets to, he's the one who wrote the list. He gets to call it whatever he wants. So that sin and this sin are identical to God. Paul is helping us understand that, oh, they might be identical to God. That You might want to fight a little righteous battle, but he's saying understand that sexual sin, the sexual impurity, the sexual morality, nothing else hurts you the way this does. It's a sin against your own body. It's not just a sin against God. It's a sin against your own body. And we know, based on the fact that all sexual sin is driven by relationship, is tied to a relationship, it doesn't just affect you. It affects the you beside you. Right? That's why we flee. That's why he tells us to flee from those things that could cause those barriers and abuse when it comes to physical intimacy. You are all three things. 
You desire all three things. The, the intimacy that God wants for your marriage is never just one thing. You are a triune being, spirit, soul, and physical body, right? You have a spirit. You have these emotions that tie you together. You have physical desires and drives. You are all three things. God wants this intimacy for all of it in your life. Don shared last week about the happily ever after marriage, right? Is it possible? Is it, is it a reality? I'll tell you that I honestly believe it, it is. Not maybe the way that, you know, the fairy tales sell it, but I really do believe it is. Uh, just to give you a quick uh, little story of hope before we close out, my parents just uh, this year in February celebrated 60 uh, years, 60 years of marriage my parents celebrated in February. My wife and I in March celebrated 25 years. And so my family came through in March and we were just talking about life and, you know, whether our children are going to make it because they, you know, sometimes we don't know if they will, you know, and our parents were like, yes, the kids are going to make it, you know, and we're having this conversation about doing life and, and it was so interesting. We were talking about our anniversaries because we're going up to Canada this summer to celebrate ours and other family members and my parents. And, and, and my mom said something that my wife um, commented on and just said that we really do believe the same thing. My mom said, you know, if, after 60 years, it just keeps getting better. That's what my mom said. You know, after 60 years, it just keeps getting better. Not perfect. Not problem-free. Not that there haven't been huge things to overcome personally in their life and then together as a couple. But my wife and I would say the same thing. After 25 years, it does just keep getting better. It, it keeps getting better. So there is a happily ever after. There is hope for the marriage relationship, the way God created it and defined it. If you are willing to put in the work, if you are willing to invest, to see that intimacy, to see that oneness come to life in your marriage, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you today again, just for an opportunity to, to have this conversation and God, I, I will admit that there's, there is very little value in identifying the things in our life that maybe we need to work on if you, by your Spirit, do not empower us to take action. And so, God, that's my prayer today. My prayer is, that, that God, the Holy Spirit, by your power, that every single person here and listening later um, that is being just tapped on the shoulder, they're being tugged in their heart by something they know they need to work on, they know they need to identify, they know they need to talk about, they know they need to work on to see the, fulfill, the fullness and the, and the fulfillment of marriage that you created for them. They need to take some steps forward. But it's only by your power that we can do that. God, there's, there's nothing in here even in our power. We can take a step. We can start the conversation. We can, we can identify things. But God, we are praying that you would do what only you can do, which is do a spirit, a, just a supernatural and spiritual work in us to see healing come, to see breakthroughs made, to see people take steps that pull them out of dysfunction and pull them out of abuse and pull them out of the barriers in their marriage when it comes to physical intimacy. And so, God, we're praying. We're praying with confidence that you are going to do the, we're going to take the step, that we're going to do what you've called us to do. We're praying that you will do what you can only do. And then praying that with confidence, God, in your name, Jesus, we pray all this. Amen.